talking about, I think applies in a lot of different disciplines, vocations, passions, what, what have you, and not just in human services, but in human services, it has to be a priority because those variations um, can literally be life and death for some people. The development of critical thinking is the most important. When I think about the workplace and places that I've supervised other people, uh, the bone in my throat was all, always, well, what if this, what if that, what if the other? And my answer was always, no matter what, how many what ifs we talk about, there's going to be the other one that we didn't talk about. You need to develop clinical judgment. You know, and you don't develop clinical judgment by uh, you know get, just getting a bunch of um, outlined information. You have to experience it. You have to hold on to it. You have to take a chance. Sometimes you're going to be wrong. So uh, I, I, and I hate seeing that go to the um, uh, to the workplace, that kind of mindset, you know, because I don't think we do help develop good judgment in that way. But even the judgment to say, I got nothing. Let's go ask somebody else. You know, that, that's a great judgment call you know, <laughs> to know when you're out of your own level. Unfortunately, that is something that we've that I've noticed in incoming freshmen in the past couple of years is like they have this intense fear of first failing. Like they cannot fail no matter what. It's just awful, awful, awful. They cannot fail. Yeah. And then secondly, sometimes they really, they don't want to tell you that they don't know. So they'll almost kind of like give you some bull to, you know, work their way through it. And it's like, I don't know, where are you going with this? This is nothing, you know, this doesn't make any sense, but they just don't want to admit that they don't know. They'd rather try to, you know, give you some work their way through it than, and, and tell you stuff that maybe isn't necessarily true than tell you that they don't know. So we've been working on that, um, you know, acknowledging when you're ignorant of a subject and that's okay. It's all right not to know something about something and to admit that, you know, go ask somebody who does know. Um, and then yeah, we've been and to model on, that. Yeah, exactly. And model that like many times in the classroom, students will ask me things. I'll be like, I don't know, let's look it up. Let's Google it. Or let's ask somebody who knows, right. Um, admitting it yourself, like, Nikki just said it's a good role model for them. She's like, well, if Dr. Mars didn't, didn't know, or if Dr. Nance didn't know, it's okay if I don't know. Um, and then same thing with failing. So failing a class, like sometimes that really is the best thing for that student in order for them to learn that failing's not going to kill them, right? That sometimes failing is a good lesson. And then not only just failing, but how to take that failure gracefully right? How to take a lesson from that failure, apply it and move on. And that's really what, what we're looking for whenever they fail. Unfortunately, sometimes students fail and they fail again and they fail again, and then they fail out of college and probably college just wasn't right for them, right? It's just not a good fit. Um, mm -hmm. But other students, they fail a class once. And then the next time I see that student, they are a different student. They are fantastic. <laughs> they took those lessons and, you know, now they're, they've applied it and they're growing, which is great. Mm -hmm. We have the ones at the other end of the spectrum, too, that think of getting a B is a tragedy. And so they've done all their quantitative work and were able to memorize and to get A's all the way through. And now they have to think, um, and, um, you know, a B might be in their future. You know? <laughs> so, so a lot of cognitive uh, intervention that goes into the yeah. beginning of a class. And, it, you know, it's, it's two sides of things. But I have some policies that I think that are informal, like in in my estimation, if somebody didn't do any work, didn't do any assignments, they showed up all the time, they were great in participation, and sometimes they contributed things to the class that, would that made the class richer, I don't feel like I have the um, uh, 
evidence to fail them. They really didn't fail. They didn't demonstrate what everybody else demonstrates, but if they made a contribution to the class, they actually maybe were ahead of the class. You know. um, so do we investigate it? Well, sure. What's keeping you from doing the assignments? And some of them say, I just only want, I want to see. That's why I mean, a C is good enough. I'm just trying to get through this. They're smart. They know they're smart. They're happy to contribute. They don't want to waste precious game time uh, doing homework. So they kind of choose out. <laughs> That's the reality, and one of the realities that um, faculty members 30 years ago didn't have to think about. What are some of the biggest challenges you still see students have, um, I guess, in any, if there are any, like, major ones, ones that are kind of shared across the entire student body, right? Like, you know, they have the skills, they, they're figuring out how to learn their own ways, um, they're, they're improving or they're growing in, the, in the, the realms that they want to. But what are some of the things overall that still kind of burden them? Um, I imagine maybe you're outside of their control. Mental health issues. You know, mm. Some of our best students fall off the grid once in a while, um, you know, disappear. And so somebody's going strong maybe for most of the term um, and they have a depressive episode. You know, so we can go and find them, but you can't make that brain function any faster or better. So they end up with, you know, uh, not the same kind of grade they might have had from the beginning. And it's, uh, but those are things they're going to have to cope with on the job. One of the students told me, um, and he's somebody that um, sometimes say, oh, you know, I'm having a day. Is it okay if I leave? And to which I always say, I take no hostages. It's up to you. Uh, and he said that one of his other teachers said something that made so much sense to him, which was just stay anyway. You know, he said that sometimes I just, I guess I have to push through it. And he said, that, and it's true when I'm on the job, I can't just say I'm having a bad day. Well, no, you really can't. You can say it, but you won't have that job for long. You know, and the fact is, you know, we do it all the time. How many days do you wake up and you don't really, you know, like wake up and have a headache? Well, you have a headache there or at work. It's going to be with, it's in your head. It doesn't matter where you are. Go to work. You know, <laughs> um, there's so, you know, to yeah. not use those things as avoidance. And then to know um, how to do early intervention. You know, what's the aura of a, of a uh, depressive episode? What's the aura of a bipolar um, event happening? Um, or you know, anxiety raising. And then to have some of those, you know, to let people know, like you, just like, you're, you know, with a learning disability, you get used to thinking, well, it's going to always be there. But with mental health issues, they wax and wane. So you don't say, you know, like, I'm, I'm a bipolar. No, you're a person with bipolar disorder, which waxes and wanes. So sometimes you are having an episode, but it's not, I am a bipolar, that then it's going to wipe out any kind of avenue you have for doing better in the moment. Um, you know, don't give in that fast to, to, the, to the diagnosis. I like teaching um, mental health and I like teaching abnormal psychology and the students love it. And, you know, at the end of it, I always say to them, if, if you feel like you're, if you feel like you found something out about yourself and you don't think that you're having um, the right medication, the right kind of treatment, you're an adult now and reminding them you are an adult now. You can get a second opinion. You can look for another physician. You can take the information that you have, like so many other people do, uh, and hand it to your doctor and say, this seems to apply to me. Could you look into it? And if, if a physician, um, you know, a lot, and the younger docs are willing to do that. They, they, you, know, it's a, you know, did the patient Google it or did they? You know, so they're okay with it. So that's another, you know, outside field that has really changed. 
And 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 I always tell them at the beginning, one of the one of the goals of teaching abnormal psychology and substance abuse is, to me is always to make them a better consumer of services, so that you know they know what's an appropriate level of care, what's an appropriate direction of care, um, and what part is their responsibility. So uh, I really, we really do a lot with evidence based practice and strength based uh, interventions, both in human services and in psychology classes. Um, and I think that they have a lot of them have their own personal growth right in those classes, you know, and, and it's another set of well-known wonder experiences. You know, I'll tell them, you know, the, the, the two big, uh, like the diagnostic dilemma in a child is that ADHD and anxiety look the same. And sometimes you only can diagnose it by which medication worked. And it doesn't mean you're being a guinea pig. It means we're doing a rule out, you know, not, not being a guinea pig um, and just changing that mindset because, you know, a lot of times parents have instilled that. Well, they're not a guinea pig. They tried this and it was wrong, so they didn't know what they were doing, you know, that kind of victim uh, mentality. So teaching people to think in a different way. Um, uh, and I think so mental health issues would be, the, in my opinion, I don't know, I'm sure there are tons of other things, but that, um, that's the one saboteur of uh of just a, a, a success that's strong and really like dug in. Just to kind of piggyback off of what Nikki was saying, I agree totally. Mental health issues is probably one of our bigger um, concerns and something that we really work a lot with with our students. Um, similarly, I would say just helping them manage their stress if they have a, a you know a mental health disorder or not. Um, a lot of our students just really do not handle stress well, and when they do hand, when they do try to handle, they have terrible coping mechanisms. Like they you know they, they rely on their parents for certain things while their parents are there. You know, or they're three thousand miles away. That's really really hard to do. So trying to teach them new ways to manage their stress or more effective ways to manage their stress. Um, one of the things that I push really hard in all of my classes is mindfulness, right? Trying to be in the moment, trying to live in the moment. And then that helps you, you know, regulate your stress. When you're more aware of what's going on and what might stress you out, you could avoid those things. Or if you know a big assignment is coming up, how to manage your time effectively so you can get that done. Those types of things, just helping them um, regulate their, their stress. Um, and another thing that I've seen over the years, which isn't like a huge deal, but it definitely plays into a little bit of the the, um, the stress that, that I see on campuses. Students like coming to college with an expectation of this is what I'm going to get my degree in because my parents want me to get this degree. And then I'm going to go do this because this is what my parents want me to do. Um, so trying to get them <laughs> to understand that, yeah, that's perfectly acceptable to do that. But let's explore some other options too, right? So maybe, you know, your parents are really pushing you to go into business, but you're like not engaged with any of those classes. Like you think that they're boring. That's a sign, right? That maybe business isn't a degree for you. Maybe you can go and explore something else. Maybe you're really into computers or maybe you're really into human services, right? So, and then encouraging them to have that conversation with their parents and how they can have that conversation with their parents. Um, it's really difficult, but I do see a lot of students coming in, getting really, really stressed out because their parents have these expectations of them and then them feeling like they're going to let their parents down, they're going to fail, that type of stuff. Um, so just helping them manage manage that as well. I love that. I love that you say that college is not the place to go if you want to listen to your parents. <laughs> it is not the place. It is a Pandora's box of self-discovery and that goes across the board. I mean, yes, you understand who you are, but everything you try to do and learn 
even if you don't expect it or you do, is going to push and challenge against someone else's ideas of what you should be doing with your time. I think it's hilarious that people so how they have parents have this mindset that they they pressure their kids into having like be this, go be a doctor, go be a nurse, go do this thing, and they send them to college. Come on now, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if you have never been before, and if not, that's fine. But college is the place where ideas are going to get crushed, molded, reformed, reshaped. And it's a huge burden to go in with some idea of what you're doing. I, we encourage parents to grow. You know, like they aren't going to be the same in four years. Why would you be? You know, and you should probably start to talk to them in terms of your plans in the future. You know, like what are you planning retiring? Are you planning traveling? Are you do a career change coming? Um, you know, what kinds of things are you going to be doing? I had a mom not too long ago in one of the parent orientations who said, my son just doesn't want to talk to me. I call, I ask him how it's going. I get one syllable answers. And I said, do you, do you ever tell him what's going on with you? Uh, and she was, seemed like, no, I, I really don't. And I said, well, you know, this is the time where you change that conversation. I said, is there anything that he was really helpful with for you when he was home? And she said, yeah, a few things. And I said, why don't, why don't you say, you, you know, you miss having them there to do those things. I said, we have to be part of that conversation. I said, from his point of view, you're on the other end, like attacking him with questions. I said, he shuts down more and more and more. I said, give him a little bit more of yourself. And I think that really is saying to her, you're allowed to have an adult conversation with each other. You know, let's start balancing the power in these relationships. Um, so I really encourage them um, to you know, look into themselves uh, and, you know, like, what do you need to do? And I asked them, what do you, you know, tell, I, what I finally said to her was, tell him what you're doing with that four hours a night that you used to spend on your, on his homework. Like, what are you doing with that now? <laughs> it's 20 hours a week. Talk about that. <laughs> it's amazing. Y'all are doing something not only for your students, but for the parents and everyone in that surrounding support, you know, group, right? Because you're grasping something that, um, you know, fails to launch earlier in people's lives. And that is, this is a, this is a team effort, yo. <laughs> this is going to take everyone. Yeah. And you highlight something that I love that I don't know if it's a fear for me, but personally, I do not want to be someone who stops learning as they get older, right? Because they say that a lot of people, they hit a certain age in their thirties, they hit a cliff or a wall and they kind of stop growing or that motivation to continue learning and unlearning kind of dwindles away. I don't want that because you can look around the world anywhere and see where that's failing people, right? And so encouraging others, no matter their age or their role to continue learning, you know, they don't have to be in school to do that. That's good for the soul. You know, that's human services work right there. These are things that not only apply at Beacon College or students with LDs and whatnot, but to people of all sorts and types, right? Because sometimes it's like, no one's going to, these are great answers, but no one's looking for them. No one cares. It's like, okay, they, they do <laughs> care. And that effort is there. And so that makes human services work easier because now you're not like pushing against, you know, rock in a hard spot, trying to help people that don't want to be helped. Right. But it's good to hear that people are, are self-motivated still out there to do something, something. <laughs> And then y'all are there. But I hope we teach the way we want, the way we hope our students will go on to practice. But this like constant learning, acknowledging the change, acknowledging change in yourself, you know, uh, treasuring all of those moments. So if, if we teach in that way, then hopefully that's that's the uh, attitude that they carry forward, and they see their clients in that way. That there was a potential there that that uh, 
you know, that maybe they, they can't do things the way they are in the procedure manual, but is there another way? Is it worth it to find another way? So if they've had that experience, um, even though it wasn't in an outline or on PowerPoint, the experience itself is going to tickle those cells in their brain to say, oh, wait a minute, let's, let's think of something different. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the policy. If what you're doing isn't working, do something else. <laughs> that's the right. basic of counseling. <laughs> Don't keep doing the same thing over and over or do double, you know, that's not working. Let's do it more often, <laughs> um, which is a like kind of a medical model thing. Um, so, you know, we have, so it's, it's the same in education. If I can't, if this isn't working two times in a row, why are we going to do it again? Let's find a different way. So hopefully that's a, you know, a mindset that they can take with them as well as whatever information that goes with them. And then the same thing that we talked about earlier, role modeling, right? Showing them, you know, how we continue to learn and grow as well and then how they can do that as they get older too. Um, so a lot of times in class, like I said before, you know, I'll say, well, I don't know the answer to that, but let's figure out where we can find the answer. Let's find an academic source maybe, right? And then we can use that as an opportunity to talk about academic sources and then we can learn other stuff along the way. So just show them, you know, how many different ways and how many opportunities there are to learn things throughout the day. It can help get them more engaged with the material too, and just get them more engaged with learning and wanting to learn. I'm curious about the workforce, the field of human services. Is it open? Is it malleable to students that are neuro, you know, are neurodivergent or experiencing something in that regards? Are you finding that when students maybe go to an internship that they're stuck working with um, like Nikki mentions, like processes that don't work um, and they're having to work around those? Or are you seeing that there are um, employers and practitioners out there that are just as willing to adjust and, and find better ways of doing their own work as they work with students? I think we found most employers are pretty open, open, compassionate, empathetic. They want to learn about it. Um, they want to know what they can do to help. Um, just yesterday, we were eating lunch with one of our former students who was talking about she changed jobs and the shift from her supervisor, how one supervisor was much more empathetic. This one's a little bit more strict. And she's like, but that's okay. It's, it's just, it's a good opportunity for me to learn how different people, you know, work and how to work under different people. Um, so I think but that, that supervisor that she has now is very, you know, very understanding of, of, um, Sarah's processing and that type of stuff. Uh, so, but anyway, for the most part, I think most of the employers that we've worked with and most of the places that we've worked with have been very excited to work with us, very open to working with us. The internships um, have been relatively successful. I honestly haven't heard anything bad. Have you, Nikki? No. You know, I think employers, they don't live in a vacuum. They have they have a daughter, a son, a niece, a nephew, a brother, a sister themselves that has a difference. You know, and um, most of them will mention that, you know, like, yeah, I wish we would have had this for my son. You know, so, you know, now that we're kind of like out, you know, there's a lot of attention to ADHD, a lot of attention to ASD, um, and hopefully the specific learning disabilities will, you know, will get that same kind of attention. So now that all that's out, I think people can, you know, they have something that they can attach that to and have motivation to make it better for somebody else. I know y'all talk to students a lot and part of your job is advocating for students and you have a passion for that. Um, but those who you don't teach and that are watching this podcast, um, what is some advice you would give them in their journeys and understanding either their own neurodivergence or 
that of others and how it relates to kind of the change that they want to see in, in human services? I guess um, you weren't your diagnosis would be, you know, so aside from that, what, what's up with you? You know, don't throw it, they'll put that, they'll march that ahead every time there's a party, just march that diagnosis in, find the other wound mates in the room, you know, they can talk about that. <laughs> Find the other parts of you. So that would be that you are not your diagnosis. That's a portion. Um, I think that would, and, and so, you know, so keep looking, go wherever you need to go, do what you need to do. What, what would you be doing if you didn't have this? And what about this prevents you from doing that? So those kinds of conversations. Definitely. I, I would say more self-discovery, you know, learn about yourself, find out what you're really good at. What are your likes, your dislikes, try new things. Um, one thing that I really try to get my students to do is to approach every situation with an open mind, right? Don't go into it with expectations or judgment, but instead go into a situation with like, okay, what is this opportunity going to bring, right? What am I going to be able to learn from this? Instead of going into it being like, this is a waste of time. I shouldn't even be here. Um, so being more open-minded, you know, and, and along with that open-mindedness, be open-minded about yourself too, right? So really dig deep, try to learn about yourself. And then once once you have a really good understanding of, of your own strengths and weaknesses and your own growth and what you need, then you can be a really good self-advocator. So then you can take that information, you know, into any job or any, in, into any situation and be able to self-advocate for yourself. In parallel to, to learning and becoming a professional in anything is the learning and becoming, you know, uh, just personally aware of yourself playing into that scenario, right? I really appreciate y'all coming on and sharing some of this. This is a topic that we haven't touched on before. And so um, I look forward to all the other work that you're gonna be providing to students and just as advocates as a whole. I know y'all don't maybe recognize an advocates, but you are advocating daily through the through your own channels of, of um, provision. And so, yeah, thanks for being a part of the, the podcast. Thank you for having us. Special thanks to our guests, Dr. Nikki and Dr. AJ. Listen, like, and share this episode and others over on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.